Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast. This episode deals with graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners. It was just after 10 a.m. on an overcast August morning when a gray Dodge pulled out of the parking lot near the boat launch at Gander Lake in central Newfoundland. The balding, overweight man behind the wheel was on his way back to his apartment, which was approximately 10 kilometers east of the lake. No one seemed to notice the man or the car, so it was hard to say how fast he was driving. On his route home, he passed a gas station and then the local hospital. He had a cell phone with him, but he didn't make any calls. When he arrived at his apartment, his wife Jennifer was surprised to see him, as he hadn't been gone long. Just a half hour earlier, he had left with the couple's three-year-old twin daughters, Karen and Krista. He had offered to take the girls to the park by the lake while his wife got ready. She was taking the twins to the demolition derby at the Gander Summer Festival. It was going to be a great day. Now, the man was unexpectedly back from the lake. But where were the girls? I'm Catherine Fogarty, and in this podcast, I'm bringing you the true story of an unspeakable tragedy that would stun a small community and baffle the local police. But was it an accident? or a crime. An arrest and a sensational trial would eventually end in a conviction, but ultimately it would be the authorities who would be on the defense. Had the police crossed the line to obtain a confession to murder? The story of what happened one summer day at a beach in Newfoundland would ultimately make its way to the Supreme Court of Canada and potentially change the way Canadian police conduct undercover investigations. But would justice be served for two innocent victims? Or would a convicted killer go free? This is A Day at the Lake, The Mysterious Deaths of Karen and Krista Hart. The last time that I seen my girls was when they lived with their father. After a few hours, Hart came back alone. Told me that he had him and he killed the girls. On the morning of August 4th, 2002, Jennifer Hart 
waved goodbye to her twin daughters as they jumped into the back of the family car. Jennifer's husband, Nelson, was taking the two girls to Little Harbor, a hidden corner of Gander Lake with a boat launch and a wharf. It was a well-known rocky reservoir on the outskirts of Gander, Newfoundland, a town of approximately 11,000 people. Gander had become world-famous the year before, when 38 international flights were forced to land at its perfectly positioned airport after the September 11th attacks in New York City. Over 6,500 travelers were welcomed and taken in by Gander residents for several days until planes were allowed to fly again. The town and its people were praised by many after 9-11, and a Broadway musical called Come From Away retells the story of those harrowing days when the world came to Gander. Over one year later, the town was back to its normal quiet rhythm and was preparing for its annual Festival of Flight. The festival is one of the province's biggest family fairs with rides, live music, food stalls, and parades. Jennifer Hart had been looking forward to the festival all summer. There would be face painting, pony rides, and lots of junk food to keep the girls happy. And Jennifer was taking them to the demolition derby scheduled that afternoon. Money was tight for the Hart's, but this was one day Jennifer had saved for. Jennifer's husband, Nelson, wasn't coming to the festival with them. He suffered from seizures and didn't like to go out in crowded places. But on that morning, he offered to take the girls to the nearby lake so Jennifer could get ready for her day out. The happy, talkative twins with thick brown hair and big brown eyes were excited about going to the lake with their dad. There was a park nearby, and they loved playing on the swings. Friendly and outgoing, the girls also loved meeting other kids at the park. But on that cloudy morning, the beach and wharf were empty. Back at the couple's small, sparsely furnished apartment, Jennifer Hart was grateful for the short break that morning. She was a full-time stay-at-home mom with two active toddlers. And truth be told, her husband Nelson didn't spend much time with the girls on his own. Jennifer needed 45 minutes to get herself ready. That's what she told Nelson as he headed out with the girls in tow. But then, 30 minutes later, just as Jennifer was getting out of the bath, Nelson burst through the front door. Suddenly, before Jennifer could ask him anything, he blurted out that Krista had fallen in the water. He told Jennifer that he panicked because he couldn't swim. So he jumped in the car and drove back home to get her. What Nelson was saying didn't make any sense. The beach was 10 kilometers away, and Jennifer couldn't swim either. And where was Karen? With her wet hair still wrapped in a towel, Jennifer ran out to the car, assuming Karen would be there but both of the car seats were empty. Not only had Nelson left his daughter Krista, who had apparently fallen into the water, he had forgotten her sister Karen at the beach when he drove away. Nelson and Jennifer raced back to Gander Lake. 
Drive faster, she yelled at Nelson. When they finally got to the beach, Jennifer jumped out of the car, not realizing it was still moving. It was eerily quiet, not a soul in sight. Then, Jennifer spotted something in the water not far from the wharf. It was clothing. Jennifer could see Krista face down in the water. She had drifted into the middle of the harbor, beyond reach. Go get help, she screamed at Nelson. Nelson jumped in the car and sped off. Jennifer grabbed the longest stick she could find and then ran to the end of the wharf. Using the stick, she lay down on the wharf and reached out to try and hook Krista's clothing. But there was no way. She was too far out. Moments later, she could hear sirens in the distance. Thank God, she thought. Help was on the way for Krista. But Karen... Where was Karen? Jennifer began yelling and searching the surrounding area for her other daughter. Maybe she was hiding in the trees that hugged the shoreline. But she couldn't see her anywhere. The sirens grew louder. Hurry, hurry, pleaded Jennifer. The emergency responders had to get Krista out of the water and help find Karen. Everything was going to be all right, thought Jennifer. It just had to be because there was no way she could live without her babies. They were her world. When a 911 call came in from a gas station near Gander Lake, the male caller said his three-year-old daughter had fallen into the lake. Police, fire, and ambulance crews raced to the location. One of the paramedics ran into the shallow waters and grabbed Krista into his arms. Her body was limp, but miraculously, she was still alive. The unconscious toddler was rushed to the local hospital. The police told a distraught Jennifer to go in the ambulance with Krista while they continued to look for Karen. Nelson Hart was also told to drive to the hospital. By the time they arrived at the hospital, Krista had no vital signs. The emergency room medical staff jumped into action, refusing to give up on the little girl. Finally, they were able to restart her heart, but tests showed she had suffered severe brain damage. While Jennifer and Nelson waited for any news on Krista, paramedics arrived with Karen. They had discovered her in the water on the opposite side of the cove. And sadly, no emergency medical intervention was needed. Karen was pronounced dead on arrival. Later that afternoon, Krista was airlifted to a hospital in St. John's without either parent. Jennifer and Nelson had been asked to go to the local police station. There they were put in separate rooms and questioned. Jennifer relayed the events of that morning. They were only supposed to be gone for 45 minutes. She and the girls were going to the festival. It was going to be a great day. But now, it was the worst day of her life. Nelson Hart told the police that not long after he and the girls arrived at the wharf, Krista fell into the water. 
He said he didn't jump in to save her because he couldn't swim. Instead, he got back into his car and raced home to get his wife. And in his panic, he left Karen behind. People can often do strange things in the midst of an emergency. But for the Gander police, Nelson Hart's actions made no sense whatsoever. Retracing his journey between the lake and his home, investigators noted that Hart had passed a gas station and the local hospital before arriving back at his apartment to pick up his wife, who also couldn't swim. The police also discovered a cell phone in his car that had not been used. While the police continued their investigation at the beach, hoping to find any witnesses to what had happened, doctors at the hospital in St. John's were trying desperately to save Krista's life. But she had been in the water too long. At 5 a.m. the following morning, Krista was taken off life support and died in her mother's arms. Jennifer's father and sister stood by her side, while Nelson Hart watched from behind a glass window in the hallway. An autopsy later recorded the girls' deaths as accidental. People in the close-knit town of Gander, Newfoundland, were stunned. How could this have happened? Twin girls drowning on an outing with their father. It was a parent's worst nightmare. Then, just three days later, the front page of the St. John's Telegram newspaper announced that Nelson Hart, the girl's father, was facing criminal charges related to their deaths. It was another shock for the town. But less than 24 hours later, the RCMP clarified that they had initiated a criminal investigation, but had not identified a suspect. The newspaper was forced to print a retraction. Was it a tragic accident? Or had something more sinister transpired on that morning? The police were asking for any witnesses to come forward. But while rumors swirled around Gander, a grieving mother was preparing to say goodbye to her cherished daughters. Jennifer Hart would admit years later that she had almost no recollection of her daughter's funeral because she was in such a state of shock. A doctor had prescribed tranquilizers and she had barely slept or eaten since the accident. But before the girls were laid to rest in matching white coffins, Jennifer dressed them in two beautiful hunter green dresses, Winnie the Pooh sandals, and then insisted on curling their hair. Now they would be perfect little angels for eternity. It would be several years before the family could afford a headstone for the girls' graves. After the funeral, friends and neighbors continued to stop by the Hart's apartment to offer a hand or a hot meal. Many others sent cards of condolence, flowers, and even money. But nothing could bring Jennifer out of her despair. She had nothing left to live for. And she still didn't even understand what had really happened at the lake that day. 
Nelson refused to talk about it. They had to get on with their lives, he said, and even suggested moving away. But Jennifer couldn't bear the thought of being far from the girl's gravesite. Then, not long after the funeral, Jennifer came home one day to discover that Nelson had packed away all of the girl's clothing and toys, saying he couldn't have any reminders of them in their home. Jennifer didn't understand Nelson's actions, and neither did the police, who were watching him. The police had followed him to the local dump the day after the girls died, and watched as he threw away their car seats and numerous photographs. They secretly retrieved everything he had discarded. Two months after the twins died, the police were still not satisfied with the story that Nelson Hart had given them regarding the day his daughters drowned. They decided to re-interview him to see if any details of his story changed. And sure enough, Nelson Hart had a whole new story to tell. Now, Nelson was claiming that he had suffered a seizure just after he took the girls out of the car that morning at the lake. He said that he blacked out and didn't know how the girls ended up in the water. Nelson Hart did suffer from frequent seizures, and family members had often warned him not to drive, especially with the girls in the car. But Hart ignored their advice. He told the police he hadn't mentioned the seizure when first questioned because he was afraid of losing his driver's license. This new story didn't make sense to the investigators. It still didn't explain the many unanswered questions about what had happened on that day. Even if Hart had a seizure, why did he leave Karen at the beach? Why didn't he stop for help on his way home? And why hadn't he used the cell phone in his car to call 911? The police were certain Nelson Hart wasn't telling the truth. But without any witnesses to the girls' deaths, they could not confirm what had taken place that day at the lake. A second autopsy by Newfoundland's chief medical examiner had resulted in the girls' cause of death being changed from accidental to undetermined. But still, the case had hit a dead end. Over the next few years, the Hearts tried to get on with their lives. They eventually relocated to Grand Falls, Newfoundland, but Jennifer could barely get out of bed most days. They never spoke about the girls, and while Jennifer was always suspicious of what happened that day at Gander Lake, she believed what Nelson had told her. To think anything else was far too painful. The now childless couple got by on social assistance, and Nelson spent most of his time at the local pub playing the gambling machines. But then their financial circumstances seemed to improve dramatically in February of 2005, when Nelson began working for a man who apparently owned a trucking company. Nelson delivered packages for the company, no questions asked. Soon, Nelson was bringing home cash money, and his new work associates were treating him to fancy restaurants, nice hotels, and cross-country travel. 
Jennifer had concerns about her husband's new boss and work friends. She suspected they were doing something illegal. But Nelson assured her everything was, in his words, legit. Maybe things were finally turning around for the couple, thought Jennifer. They needed some good luck in their lives after everything they had been through. But Jennifer should have listened to her instincts. The still grieving mother had no idea what was to come. On June 13, 2005, the Newfoundland RCMP announced a surprise arrest. 37-year-old Nelson Hart was charged with two counts of first-degree murder in the 2002 drowning deaths of his three-year-old twin daughters. It was a shock to the small community of Gander, many of whom had rallied around the couple after the girls' tragic deaths. But investigators were confident that they had an airtight case against Hart. In fact, they had a confession. On February 27th, 2007, two years after his arrest for the murders of his three-year-old twin daughters, Nelson Hart went on trial in Gander, Newfoundland. Sitting in the courtroom every day was Nelson's mother and his wife Jennifer. While Jennifer still had her doubts about what really happened on that day at the lake in August of 2002, Nelson swore to her that he had suffered a seizure. In his opening statement, Crown Attorney Mark Linehan told the jury that Nelson Hart murdered his daughters because he was angry that children's services might remove them from their home. Social workers had discussed putting the girls in foster care or in the care of Nelson's brother. But, according to the attorney, Nelson wasn't going to let anyone else raise his children. So he killed them instead. And the Crown was going to show the jury irrefutable proof. Three years after the girls drowned, while in his care, Nelson Hart had confessed to murdering them. The Crown attorney then explained how Hart had been the subject of a complex four-month undercover operation known as a Mr. Big Sting. In February 2005, the RCMP launched an elaborate plan in the hopes of getting a taped confession from Nelson Hart. A Mr. Big sting operation is a controversial police technique used to elicit confessions from suspects in cold cases, usually involving murder. It was originally developed by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police in British Columbia. In a Mr. Big operation, Police officers posing as members of a criminal organization befriend the suspect and gain the suspect's trust with money and the promise of a lavish lifestyle if the suspect becomes a member of their organization. The suspect is asked to carry out jobs such as money laundering and drug trafficking. Eventually, a meeting is set up with the group's boss, Mr. Big, designed to get the suspect to admit to details of a past crime. The suspect might be told that the police are on to him and he needs to tell the boss everything so the organization can protect him. 
or he could be told he needs to share his past as a sign of loyalty. The Nelson Hart undercover investigation was the first time the controversial technique had been used in Newfoundland. The Crown Attorney described to the jury how Hart went from rags to riches in just four months, believing all the while that he was working for a criminal syndicate. Then, when asked to prove his loyalty to the criminal gang, Nelson admitted that he had killed his daughters. The prosecution intended on showing the jury Nelson Hart's videotaped confession. During his opening arguments, defense lawyer Derek Hogan said that Nelson Hart had falsely confessed to drowning his three-year-old twin daughters. Hogan claimed that his client lied about killing the girls because he was intimidated by the undercover officers he believed were hardened criminals. Told that the fictitious gang was more powerful than Hell's Angels, Hart went along with everything they asked of him, including lying about the death of his daughters. Their tactics were hardly subtle, stated the defense attorney. They used money, power, and friendship to entice Nelson Hart into a fictitious underworld. And for a man with no education and no money, he was an easy target. Then, according to the defense, Nelson Hart was promised $25,000 if he told the big boss what he wanted to hear. And the big boss wanted Hart to admit to killing his daughters. Jennifer Hart listened intently as both lawyers described the undercover operation that had elicited a confession from Nelson. Back in 2005, she had met some of Nelson's new work colleagues and had even been treated to some fancy dinners. Now she knew it had all been a ruse. When Nelson's former friends told her they were police officers and that Nelson had confessed to killing the girls, Jennifer felt like her whole world was collapsing once again. Was it true? Or had he been tricked? Nelson's mother was adamant that her son had been framed and told Jennifer she needed to stick by her husband. So there she sat as the trial got underway, terrified about what she might hear. She was going to have to relive that day, the worst day of her life, over and over again. 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The first witness called by the prosecution was Winston Hunt, Nelson Hart's brother-in-law. Hunt told the jury that approximately four months before Nelson Hart's twin girls drowned in Gander Lake, he and his brother-in-law joked that they would kill their kids before letting someone take them away. Nelson was angry that children's services were checking up on the girls and had threatened to remove them and place them in foster care. Winston Hunt told the court that Nelson Hart had said that he would, quote, make away with them before I let anyone take them, end quote. After the girls' deaths, Hunt remembered the conversation and reported it to the police. The next witness for the prosecution was Carolyn Shard, a social worker with the province's Child Welfare Department. She told the court that they had received a referral directly from Jennifer Hart, the twins' mother, who said that they were having trouble meeting the basic needs of the children. After interviewing the couple in 2002, social services were prepared to take the girls. But subsequent meetings with the Harts showed some improvement to their living conditions, so the decision to take the children was put on hold. The social worker went on to say that while the Harts were living in poverty, Jennifer Hart took excellent care of the girls. They lacked discipline, said the social worker, but they were always clean and well cared for by their mother. Carolyn Shard said she visited the Hart home six days before the girls died, and Nelson appeared agitated that she was there. 
asked by the defense if there was ever any concern about violence in the home, the social worker stated that she did not have any concerns. While visiting the Hart's home, Nelson Hart was often rude and uncooperative, but there was no indication of abuse towards the girls. There was very little interaction of any kind between Mr. Hart and his daughters, she added. Another witness from the local phone company testified that a cell phone in Nelson Hart's possession on the day his daughters died was not used until the following day. The phone had been found in the glove box of Hart's car, but when asked why he didn't use it, he told the police it was a prepaid phone and he didn't have any minutes left. The phone company employee verified for the jury that even a phone without minutes can still be used to call 911. It's a federal regulation in Canada. But in a strange twist, it was later discovered that the phone did not even belong to Nelson Hart, although he had used it. Apparently, Hart had found the phone at Gander Park the night before the girls drowned. When it was later returned to its owner, the man turned it on and discovered it was working perfectly. On the tenth day of the trial, the jury heard from the first of several undercover officers who had befriended Nelson Hart during the Mr. Big Sting. The officer described how an undercover team conducted surveillance on Hart in order to study his lifestyle, his habits, and his daily movements. Then, an officer posing as a trucking company owner, looking for his sister, asked Hart for help in finding her. It was the first of 63 encounters they would have with Nelson Hart over a four-month period. Knowing Hart was living on social assistance, the undercover officers began enticing him with money for small jobs, like delivering packages of money and stolen credit cards. With each job and task successfully completed, Hart was led to believe that his standing within the fictitious gang was growing. Soon, he was being treated to casino trips, fine dining, strip clubs, and cross-country travel. Tailored suits, fine wine, French bistros. It was a whole new world for Hart, who had a grade five education and had lived in poverty most of his life. As his status grew, he was given more responsibility and money from the gang. And while his new brotherhood treated him well, they always emphasized the importance of respect and loyalty within the organization. Any sign of disrespect or dishonesty could have dire consequences. The next officer to testify told the court that two months into the undercover operation, Nelson Hart made a startling admission during a casual conversation in a Montreal bar one night. He said that he had done something terrible in the past and one day he would tell his new friend about it. He said that he had, quote, dealt with two people and now they were in the ground. He then took a picture out of his wallet. It was a picture of his twin daughters. That impromptu conversation was not captured on tape, but it showed the undercover team that their target was willing to talk to try to impress them. This, according to the witness, 
gave the RCMP operatives enough information to move forward with their plan. Two months later, Nelson Hart was finally introduced to the crime boss on board a yacht in Vancouver. The boss informed Hart that other gang members were happy with his work so far. But if he was going to move up within the organization, they would need to do a background check on him. On June 9, 2005, Hart was flown to Montreal to meet with the crime boss again. The boss informed him that they had learned that the police were reopening the investigation into the death of Hart's twin daughters. This could put heat on the organization, so the crime boss told Hart he needed to know exactly what happened. They would protect him, but they needed the truth. The prosecution then played the 90-minute videotape of Hart's unemotional confession to the crime boss. At first, Nelson Hart told the boss that he had had a seizure and couldn't remember what happened to the girls. Don't lie, said the crime boss on the tape. Hart said he wasn't lying. After several more minutes of back and forth, Hart finally admitted to pushing both of his daughters into the water. They ran to the wharf to look at the fishes, he told the boss. Then, standing up, he demonstrated how he had shoved them both with his shoulder. He said that he had decided to drown them so there would be no blood or DNA. Quicker that way, he added. They were young. They didn't suffer. When asked why he had done it, Hart said he had learned that children's services were planning to take his daughters, and he could not stand the thought of anyone else raising them. This is just about the perfect murder, said the crime boss. Yeah, it was pretty well organized, responded Hart. According to later press reports, you could have heard a pin drop in the courtroom after the videotape confession was heard. But there was more. The prosecution then played a second tape. Two days after the meeting in Montreal, Hart met with someone who he thought was another gang member at Gander Lake. The undercover RCMP officer asked Hart to show him what he had done. Hart calmly described how he had shoved the girls off the wharf into the deep water. Hart had no idea he was being taped. 48 hours later, Nelson Hart was arrested and charged with two counts of first-degree murder. In his response to the damning evidence, defense lawyer Derek Hogan told the jury that Nelson Hart was such an accomplished liar that the videotaped confessions should not be believed. He said his uneducated, cash-strapped client was lured into the sting with the promise of easy money and a sense of belonging, things Nelson Hart had never had. When it came time for Nelson Hart to take the stand in his own defense, he requested that the courtroom be closed to the press and to the public. He said he was afraid that he might suffer a seizure if he had to testify in front of a large crowd. The judge denied his request. Then, in a brief written statement, Nelson Hart said he tried to tell the bogus crime boss that he'd had a seizure the day the girls fell into the water, 
but the boss kept pushing him to tell another story. I'd like the people of this town to know what was done to me, he said. I was told not to go against the crime boss. I tried to tell him the truth, but he didn't believe me, he added. In his closing arguments, Nelson Hart's lawyer reminded the jury that his client was an adept liar and had been lying for years to doctors and the welfare department to suit his needs. It would only stand to reason he would lie when substantial money and a better lifestyle were presented to him. Crown attorney Mark Linehan agreed with the defense that Nelson Hart was indeed an opportunist, but reminded the jury that the secretly recorded videotapes showed a relaxed man who seemed to be bragging about what he had done to his daughters and the fact that he'd gotten away with it. The trial had lasted four weeks. After 16 hours of deliberation, the jury announced they had a verdict. Nelson Hart was found guilty of two counts of first-degree murder. Hart bowed his head and began sobbing after the verdict was read. Wiping away tears, Jennifer Hart stormed out of the courtroom before the judge delivered her husband's sentencing. Hart was given an automatic life sentence with no eligibility for parole for 25 years. He won't survive in prison, said Pearl Hart outside the courthouse. She told reporters that she believed her son was innocent. There's a lot about this story that just isn't right, she added. And it turned out that Pearl Hart wasn't the only person who thought something was wrong with the story of what happened at the lake in the summer of 2002 and Nelson Hart's subsequent confession. In 2012, five years after his conviction, the Supreme Court of Newfoundland and Labrador's Court of Appeal questioned the reliability of Hart's confession during the Mr. Big sting operation. They also concluded that the trial judge had erred and that Nelson Hart should have been allowed to testify in a closed courtroom due to his epilepsy. In a majority decision, they overturned his murder conviction and ordered a new trial. The Crown promptly appealed to the Supreme Court of Canada. Two years later, the Supreme Court of Canada ruled that Nelson Hart's admissions during the Mr. Big Undercover sting could not be used against him should he face another trial. The court said that the financial and social inducements offered to Hart raised serious doubts about the reliability of his confession. The elaborate four-month Mr. Big operation had cost the RCMP $413,000. The top court also announced that in future criminal trials, Mr. Big confessions should be presumed to be inadmissible. The court then set out a new framework for determining whether such undercover operations should ever be allowed as evidence. In their decision, the Supreme Court said the trial judges would have to consider any enticements offered to the suspect, as well as any threats made and the mental health of the accused. Judges 
would also be required to examine the level of detail in a confession to determine if the suspect revealed any information about the crime that was not made public. Wrongful convictions are a blight on our justice system, wrote the court, and we must take reasonable steps to prevent them before they occur. In response to the Supreme Court's decision, the RCMP announced that they would review the potential impact on future undercover criminal investigations. As far as Hart's defense lawyer was concerned, the Crown did not have any additional evidence to warrant a new trial. I expect my client to go free, he said. He never had a friend in the world, said the lawyer. He has a grade five education, was living on social assistance, and was very easily led into what he thought was a brotherhood. And this is exactly what is wrong with Mr. Big operations. On August 5th, 2014, 12 years and one day after twins Karen and Krista Hart drowned in Gander Lake, the Newfoundland Crown Attorney's Office announced that they were dropping murder charges against Nelson Hart due to a lack of evidence. 45-year-old Nelson Hart was now a free man after spending nine years in prison. But there would be no emotional homecoming for the former father and husband. In the dozen years since her twin daughter's deaths, Jennifer Nelson had gone from defending her husband to hating him. For years, she had stuck by him through the court case where she heard his secretly taped confession. And she had even visited him in prison after he was convicted. But now that he was free, Jennifer had a different story to tell. Breaking her silence for the first time since her daughters died, Jennifer finally admitted that secretly she had always suspected her husband of causing the girls' deaths, and she blamed herself for not protecting them. Why had she let them go with him that day? Why hadn't she seen the signs of what her husband might do? For years, she struggled with so much guilt and so many questions, but nothing was ever going to bring her girls back. Jennifer had first met Nelson Hart in 1997 when she moved to Gander with her sister. They lived in the same apartment building and a casual friendship soon blossomed into romance. Nelson, who was six years older and weighed over 300 pounds, suffered from seizures and depression that prevented him from working. But according to Jennifer, he was sensitive, caring, and spoke often about the desire to have a family. But all that changed once Jennifer moved in with Nelson. He was insecure and possessive. Jennifer was forced to quit her waitressing job because he didn't like her talking to other men. When she threatened to leave, he would be sweet to her again, vowing to change, but it wouldn't last. And things didn't get any better in the Hart's relationship after the twins were born in March 1999. Nelson spent little time with the girls and seemed resentful of Jennifer's attentiveness to their needs. According to Jennifer, Nelson was never violent with the girls, 
but would yell at them if they were making too much noise. In the spring of 2002, just after the girls turned three, Jennifer Hart contacted Children's Services. The Harts were having chronic financial troubles and had been evicted from their apartment for not paying the rent. Social workers considered putting the girls into foster care, but put a hold on their decision after the Harts moved in with Jennifer's father. The Harts eventually found their own apartment in June of 2002, but Children's Services continued to check up on the girls. It was obvious to the visiting social worker and to Jennifer that Nelson was angry that strangers were poking into their lives. But no one could have foreseen what was to take place a few months later. In 2012, two years before his release, Jennifer Hicks finally divorced Nelson Hart. With time and distance, she came to believe that he had killed the girls. The man she had long defended she now feared and said she would do anything to try to get him put back behind bars. After his release from prison, Nelson Hart moved back to his mother's home in Gander, Newfoundland, but he remained a social outcast in the small community. Many were, and still are, convinced that he got away with murder. And his legal troubles were far from over. In 2015, he was convicted of assaulting a prison guard while he was still incarcerated. He was sentenced to house arrest and probation. Thirteen years after the deaths of her twin daughters, Jennifer Hicks co-wrote a book about her ordeal. The book is called Mr. Big, The Investigation into the Deaths of Karen and Krista Hart. To this day, she continues to visit her daughter's graves often. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast, written and produced by Catherine Fogarty. Audio production is by Daniel Borgers at Borgers Music. Visit us at storyhunterpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter to get more information and updates about new podcasts. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you enjoyed this story and others, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and feel free to leave us a review. We appreciate you listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.